Well, hello. hello. All right. Happy Sunday. Thank you to the Broads family for letting us use a little bit of your story within that uh, video. And we're grateful for all that you give towards that benevolence ministry and the way that it's used and impacts people's lives. And we'll have an opportunity to participate in that a little later in this service. Today is every pastor's favorite Sunday, right? We, we refer to it as you got an extra hour of sleep so we can preach as long as we want Sunday. It's a long name, but it really summarizes what the day is all about for us. And so thankful for that opportunity today as we go into our sermon series, which is called The Holy Spirit, God in Us. What are we looking at in this sermon series? We are looking at what the Holy Spirit has said about himself in the word that he inspired. What is it that the Holy Spirit wants to teach us about himself within his word. And so the first week, we looked at some of the basics of the person of the Holy Spirit. Last week, Pastor Kenny walked us through ways that the Holy Spirit leads us and guides us. And now today, I'm going to talk about the Holy Spirit's role in our salvation. What does the Holy Spirit do in our lives in bringing us into salvation? And, and as we do so, if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, I hope you will hear what the Holy Spirit does in a person's life and cry out to Jesus today for his salvation and his lordship in your life. And if you are a believer here today, my desire for you is that you would party this morning. Right? My desire for you is that this would be a time of celebration and rejoicing and praise and thanksgiving as we walk through all of the goodness of God that is expressed in the Holy Spirit's application of the work of Jesus in your life. And so I, I just want to invite us into a time of celebration and praise and partying right now. And so would you guys bow your heads with me? Let's pray together. Father, we're so thankful that we have an opportunity week in and week out really to come and just celebrate the way you have poured out goodness upon us. And today we particularly focus, Holy Spirit, on the role that you've played in the word that you've given to us. What a delight. What a blessing. And we're thankful for it in Jesus' name. Amen. I have good news. That good news is that the sermon is written for this morning. Right? Yeah, it, it's done. Like, it's, it's complete. It's finished. Uh, a few weeks ago, I started praying through this message and doing some research and thinking about it. And then last Monday, I sat down and I wrote out the message. And then three or four times since then, I have sat down and prayerfully walked through it and made changes and adjustments. And as I stand here before you this morning, the sermon is finished. It's complete. Yay! What if I didn't give it? What good would the sermon be that I have prepared for you if I didn't actually ever preach it this morning? It would, it would do you no good whatsoever. I mean, it's nice that the sermon is finished, that it's complete here on paper, but it would do you absolutely no good if I didn't deliver the sermon to you this morning. And the same thing is true of our salvation. In the work of Jesus Christ, his life, death, and resurrection, everything that we need for salvation is finished. It is complete. There's nothing we can add to it. He has done everything. But the work of Jesus Christ, while it's finished and complete, is of no use to you 
unless it is applied to your life. And as we're going to see today, it's the Holy Spirit that takes the finished work of Jesus Christ and applies it to your life if you've been saved. It's the Holy Spirit that actually takes the work of Jesus and works it through your life so that you experience all that there is to experience in salvation. And again, this morning, as we walk through what the Holy Spirit has done in bringing salvation into your life, my desire is that we would celebrate and rejoice, that we would praise and thank God as we spend time looking at His goodness in all of these things. So what is it that the Holy Spirit has done in your salvation? Well, let's start with this. The Holy Spirit convicted you of sin and judgment. Are you a follower of Jesus? It started with the Holy Spirit's conviction in your life of sin and judgment. Let's say that you were on an eight-hour flight. How many of you have ever been on an eight-hour flight? Right? Oh, wow, a lot of you have. Let's say that you were on an eight-hour flight, and an hour into the flight, someone came to you with a great big parachute and said, here, you want to wear this? Right? Would you want to wear it? For the next seven hours, would you like to have a giant pack strapped to your back that's pressing your face into the seat in front of you? Right? They probably put that seat right back into you. You know how that works. <laughs> Do you want to wear that parachute for the next seven? No, absolutely not. But does your motivation about the parachute change if right before they show up, you heard an explosion and you look outside and you see flame and smoke coming out of both engines, like the engines on both sides of the plane, and you feel the plane start to take a downward turn and the person handing you the parachute says, we're going down. Does your motivation at that point change about the parachute? Yeah, you bet it does. Because recognizing the problem of we're going down is essential to the motivation of I want the solution of the parachute. Recognizing the problem is always important to properly motivate us towards the solution. And that is absolutely true in our salvation. It is the Holy Spirit that provides conviction in our lives of sin and judgment that helps us to recognize fully the problem so that we will cling to the only solution that there is in Christ Jesus. Jesus says this in John chapter 16, verses 8 through 11. He says, And when He comes, that's the Holy Spirit, He will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in Me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will see Me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. We're told here that the Holy Spirit convicts. The Greek word here is alencho, and it can have two meanings. The first is to bring something wrong out into the light. The second is to pronounce a legal judgment. And the Holy Spirit does both of these things in our lives. He convicts us. So the wrongdoing in our lives is brought out into the light directly before us, and we go, oh, man. I'm sinful and broken and dirty and rebellious before my God. And then he also pronounces the judgment of guilty. And I am guilty and deserving of the punishment that comes for those who are sinful. The Holy Spirit works that into our life. He, he convicts us of sin, which starts with a lack of belief in Jesus. It cannot be solved without belief in Jesus. He convicts us of righteousness, that our own righteousness always falls short. 
you see that Jesus here can go directly into the presence of, fa- of the Father. You see that? He convicts the righteous because Jesus is going directly to the presence of the Father. Can you in your own righteousness go into the presence of the Father? Right? Absolutely not. Because our righteousness is like filthy rags, the Bible says. And so he convicts us of our righteousness and how far, falls, how far short it falls. And he also convicts us of judgment as the enemy Right? The ruler of this world is judged because of sin and rebellion. So will every person who stays in sin and rebellion. The Holy Spirit brings conviction into our lives that is necessary for us to want the solution that is found only in Jesus Christ. And this can happen at any age. A couple of weeks ago, I highlighted the fact that we had a person in our congregation whose parent recognized how far short their righteousness fell, and in their 90s, recognized their own sin and turned to Jesus Christ. I have a number of friends who reached this place of conviction through the power of the Holy Spirit when they were in college. They had prayed prayers in the second, third, fourth grade, but it was in college that they realized, I'm not actually following Jesus, I am following myself. I am living for myself, not for Him. And it was in college that the Holy Spirit brought conviction into their lives and they turned to Jesus as their Lord. For me, this happened at a fairly young age where the Holy Spirit convicted me primarily about the way that I treated my younger sister. I've got a sister who is two years my junior and I knew that I was supposed to treat her with love and kindness I knew this because my parents had taught me you're to treat her with love and kindness. I knew this because there was something in here that just said, you're supposed to treat her with love and kindness. And yet, so many days, friends, what I treated her with was selfishness and meanness. And I remember going to my bed at night and saying, tomorrow's going to be different. And I would try out my own attempts at righteousness. No, tomorrow's going to be different. And sometimes it was for a couple of hours. And then it was right back into selfishness and meanness. And the Holy Spirit used that relationship at a young age to convict me. You're sinful and you're broken. This isn't what I made you for. And there is appropriate judgment for not living the life I have created you to live and led me towards the only place that salvation can be found. It can happen at all sorts of different ages. The Holy Spirit convicts us of sin and judgment so that we'll turn to the solution that's offered only in Jesus. Uh, This makes me think of a couple things. First, if this is true, we need to continue to teach about sin and righteousness, about judgment and eternal life. The Holy Spirit uses the message and truth found in His Word about sin and judgment in order to bring conviction into people's lives. What if we give in to the world's way of thinking and just eliminate sin from our conversations altogether? The world would have us to understand that, well, this person's just living this truth and this person's just living their truth over here and there's really no right or wrong. You're just living your life whatever way you want. And if the church gives in, and says, oh, sin, judgment, these things aren't particularly popular, and stops talking about them, then the Holy Spirit loses the ammunition that He has put in the biblical arsenal in order to convict people of sin and judgment. 
That's his design. And so we need to stand by sin, righteousness, judgment, eternal life as consistent teachings. Stand by that truth. Second thing that I recognize as I look at this is it's the Holy Spirit that brings conviction. What's my job? My job is to bring the message of Jesus. Right? My job is to bring the truth that God has given us in His Word and to bring the truth of the good news of Jesus. It's the Holy Spirit's job to convict a person's mind and heart. It never goes well when a person tries to step into the Holy Spirit's role and bring conviction into someone else's life through emotional manipulation. You have kids, grandkids, family friends, coworkers who don't know Jesus. It will never go well, never go well, if we try to take on the Holy Spirit's role and through emotional manipulation and blackmail, get them to feel guilty. It is the Holy Spirit that does convicting in their life. Our job is to lovingly and graciously bring the truth. The Holy Spirit convicts. That's why if you're going through that 28-day gospel challenge with us, every day there is some sort of challenge about prayer in there. Why? I mean, if the point of the challenge is to learn the gospel and share the gospel, why is there so much in there every day about prayer? Because we recognize we can't do this. We don't have any ability to open blind eyes. We don't have any ability to soften hard hearts. We don't have the ability to bring the holy conviction necessary for a person to turn to Jesus. And so we are a praying people. If you're in here and you know Jesus, then you can point to the way that the Holy Spirit produced conviction in your life about sin, how far short your righteousness falls, about judgment, and that led you to Jesus. Would you just give him thanks right now for the conviction that he brought into your life? What, what goodness there is in that conviction because it leads us to the solution. And that solution starts when the Holy Spirit gave you spiritual life. What does Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1 say? We were dead in our trespasses and sins. Right? Dead in our, we were spiritually dead. How much can a dead person do in order to alleviate their condition? It is necessary for someone to come along and bring life to that dead person. And the Holy Spirit is the only one who can do that. He does what the Bible refers to as regeneration in a person's life, moving them from spiritually dead to spiritually alive. We see that call towards spiritual life in a famous conversation that Jesus has in John chapter 3. He's talking to a man named Nicodemus. What do you know about Nicodemus? He was a Pharisee, but he wasn't just any Pharisee. He was a member of the Sanhedrin, a part of the ruling council of 70 that oversaw the Jewish religion and the people of Israel. He was a very important person. We also know about Nicodemus that unlike many of the Pharisees who approached Jesus, he was open to what Jesus had to say. When he approaches, what does he call Jesus? Rabbi, that's right, Rabbi. And he says, I, I know that you've come from God. I know you've come from God because of the things that you do. And how does Jesus respond to this? Jesus answered him, 
Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. What does it say in those first three words? Jesus answered him. I'd invite you to look at John chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. And what you're going to recognize as you look at that is Nicodemus never asked a question. So what exactly is Jesus answering if Nicodemus never asked a question? I believe he is answering the greatest question that Nicodemus needed an answer to and that you need an answer to and that I need an answer to. What is that question? How can I be a part of the kingdom of God? How can I be a part of the kingdom of God? And Jesus' answer to that is, you must be born again. Now, you may have grown up in a tradition where that language of born again was used over and over. And so you're very familiar with it. Nicodemus wasn't. And so this freaks him out. He's like, what in the world are you talking about, Jesus? And so in verse 4, Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Nicodemus is like, are you kidding me right now? Born again? I'm supposed to get back into my mother's womb? Which is an ouch and a yuck all at once. Like, what are you, what are you talking about here, Jesus? Jesus wants him to understand. No, I'm not talking about a second physical birth. And so he says, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Right? Being born of water seems to symbolize the physical birth. A woman's water breaks and the whole process begins and physical birth takes place. Jesus wants him to understand it's not enough simply to be born physically. Right now, just for a moment, think about who he's saying this to. A Pharisee, a member of the Sanhedrin, one who would have trusted in his physical lineage as a child of Abraham. Jesus says it's not enough to simply be born physically. A person must be born again, which means to be born spiritually. And who does that? Right? The Spirit of God is the one who gives us life. Right? It's the Spirit of God who gives us spiritual life. Have you received that spiritual life? Right? Did you, did you, were you convicted of sin and judgment and the Holy Spirit brought you from spiritual death to spiritual life? Again, just praise Him right now. Give Him thanks for that goodness in your life. Because it's going to get even better. You ready? Not only does the Holy Spirit give you new life, we're told that the Holy Spirit cleansed you the Holy Spirit took the work of Jesus Christ, the sacrificial death of Jesus Christ, and applied it to you in a way in which you were made clean before God. Titus chapter 3, verses 4 and 5. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared. The what? The goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior. Right? How good is that? The goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared. He saved us. Because of great things that Matt did. Not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the what? Holy Spirit. How is it possible that someone sinful, broken, messy, rebellious like me could stand in the presence of the living God and be a part of his family, a part of his kingdom. 
The answer to that question is not because I cleaned myself up enough, not because I was righteous. The answer is because of the great mercy of God where he poured out his love and his kindness upon me and upon you. And he cleansed us. He applied the work of Jesus Christ, right? 1 John chapter 1, verse 7. It is the shed blood of Jesus Christ that cleanses us from all sin. He applied the work of Jesus Christ to our lives, and we were washed. I, I got great news. Being washed can be yours no matter what you have done in your life, right? No matter what sins you have in your past, God can wash you. Look at what uh, God says in 1 Corinthians 6, 9. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Those who, who are unclean won't inherit the kingdom. Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. What is Paul writing here? He's saying to the Corinthians, you have committed all of the sins. Not just the jaywalking level sins. He's like, no, you have committed all of the sins. You are dirty before the Lord. What possible hope is there then? There is hope in this little three-letter word that comes next. Such were some of you, but... Right, do you remember Ephesians 2? You were dead in your trespasses and sins, but God made you alive in Christ Jesus. You had committed all the sins, Paul says, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ by the Spirit of our God. I was washed because I made myself good enough, right? Titus says, absolutely not. I was washed because the Holy Spirit took the perfectly clean life of Jesus Christ and applied it to me while my dirt and mess was put upon him on the cross. And I know you see that there's more than here, right? Not only are we washed, but we are sanctified. What does that mean? We're declared holy before God. Not only that, but do you see that we're justified? What does that mean? We're declared legally righteous before God. What? He just keeps piling it on. One better thing after another. So that by the time we're done with this verse, we recognize that while we're sinful and broken and rebellious, that because of the work of Jesus Christ on our behalf, we can be declared before the living God clean because of the cleanliness of Jesus applied to us, holy because of the holiness of Jesus applied to us, righteous because of the righteousness of Jesus applied to us, in no way based on any righteousness of my own. Does it get better than that? No, it does not get any better than that, you guys. New life, clean life through the work of the Holy Spirit. But we're not done. Because not only has the Holy Spirit cleansed you, past tense, the Bible is filled with teaching for us that the Holy Spirit is also presently cleaning you in this life. You're clean before God, and He has also gone to work in your life to produce a cleaner and cleaner life here, day in and day out, so that you are moving away from sin and rebellion and towards Christ-likeness in the way that you live, towards love and unselfishness in the way that you live. Right? And, and so we recognize the Holy Spirit is right now what? Growing you. He's growing you. Romans chapter 8, verses 3 and 4, For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, the Old Testament law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. 
It, it couldn't do it because we, we didn't have what was needed within us in order to do it by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin. He condemns him in the, in the flesh in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Jesus has fulfilled the righteous requirements of the law on our behalf in us. And when He did that, the Spirit came to dwell with us and begins to grow us in carrying out the righteous requirements of the law in our life day in and day out. What are those righteous requirements of the law? If you had to summarize them, right, what would you go with? I, I would go with Jesus' summary in Matthew chapter 22 when He says, all of the law and the prophets comes down to this. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. All the, all the righteous requirements of the law come down to this. Love God with everything you got and love the people around you well. There is um, a danger if God only told us to love God and love others that we, in our twistedness, might take that and make love mean whatever we want. And so throughout the Scriptures, God is consistently giving us teaching and commands in order to help us understand what it means to love God and love other people in every situation in life. So if I want to know what it looks like to love God and love people in my marriage, Exodus 20 helps me understand it means faithfulness to my wife. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 7 shows me that it means honoring and loving my wife. If I want to know what it means to love God and love others when it comes to how I use my words, Psalm 150 helps me to understand it means constantly praising God with my words. Ephesians 4.29 shows me that it means to constantly be building others up, not tearing them down, building them up in grace with my words. And on and on we could go through every, uh, every section of what life consists of. God is showing us what it means to love God and love other people. All of the teaching, all of the commandments Jesus says in Matthew twenty two forty come down to this. Love God and love people. And because of the work of the Holy Spirit, we are able to begin to grow in carrying out those righteous requirements of the law in a way that we never could before. He is producing fruit in us. Sometimes we refer to them as the fruit of the Spirit. Next week's sermon is going to be entirely about the fruit of the Spirit, so I won't go any further with that. I guess I will. <laughs> Only to say that the picture of fruit probably meant to help us understand that there is growth involved. We don't instantly become like Christ the moment we trust in Him. The Spirit dwells within us and we begin to grow towards Christ-likeness. Certainly, when, when, uh, what did Jesus say? We must be born again. A baby is not mature at birth. It matures along the way. And so we recognize when the Holy Spirit is at work in our life, He is growing us, making us more like Jesus. Uh, if you can look back over the last five years, 10 years, 15 years, and you've been walking with Christ during that time, can you see that growth in an area? If you're anything like me, I tend to get focused in on the thing I did wrong yesterday. And sometimes I forget to look back over the last five years, 10 years, 15 years, and see the patterns of growth that God has been building into my life. Can you see those? Take a moment. 
And if you see that growth, would you just give him thanks and praise? He loved you too much to leave you as you were. And instead, his spirit is making you more like Christ. That's good news. Uh, the news gets even better when we recognize the Holy Spirit sealed you. Are you a believer in Jesus? Then the Holy Spirit sealed you. Ephesians 1.13, in him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. Have you believed in Christ? Have you believed in the gospel? At that moment, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. The Greek word here for sealed refers to the family seal or family signet. So if you were a well-to-do woman in this day and you had a large household, you might have the family seal on the front gates in order to declare, all this property belongs to me. And everyone within it is a part of my household. If you were a man who owned cattle, you might brand those cattle with your particular family seal or signet in order to declare, no matter how mixed up those cattle get with, you know, with your cows, we can tell those belong to me and they're a part of my household by that seal. That's the seal, the, the signet. And what this passage is saying is the moment you believe, follower of Jesus, you were marked with the seal of God, the promised Holy Spirit, which declares you belong to Him. You're a part of His household. I, I got a lot of different identities in this world. I'm, I'm Erica's husband. I'm Maddie and Zay's dad. I'm your pastor. But all of those pale, pale, pale in comparison. Right, to the great identity that God has given to me, that I have been sealed by the Holy Spirit, and I forever belong to God. I am forever a part of His household. The Holy Spirit is that seal in our lives. Ah, but it gets even better. The Holy Spirit assures you. Right? Don't worry, there's only 14 points. I'm just kidding, this is the last one. Right? The Holy Spirit assures you. Well, let's keep going with that verse we were just reading. In Him, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in Him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee, right? Focus on that word, the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of His glory. The Holy Spirit isn't just our seal. We're told here that He is the guarantee. Some of your translations say down payment, the Greek word here means the initial payment that is made that guarantees that you'll make the rest of the payments. And so let's say that today uh, I decided to buy a house for $100,000. Right? You're like, where are you going to find a house for $100,000? You guys, I, I am crafty. I know deals. I can't believe you doubt me. No, I... I just need round numbers. So let's say I buy a house for $100,000. It's possible that I would put $20,000 down on that house so that I didn't have to pay mortgage insurance. What is that down payment? It's the guarantee to the bank that I am going to continue to make the rest of the payments that I owe or else I'm going to lose that down payment. Right? It's a guarantee. It's an assurance. Yep. I've made this, this guarantee, this deposit, this down payment, and so now you know I'm going to make the rest of these payments. 
Well, in a way that is far more sure than is true in the real estate market. The Holy Spirit is the down payment on the inheritance that you have been promised. What is that inheritance? 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 4. Right? It is an inheritance, we're told, that will never perish, spoil, or fade, kept in heaven for you who are in Christ Jesus. Right? An inheritance that will never perish, never spoil, never fade, kept in heaven for you. That sounds amazing. What did Jason refer to earlier? Eternal pleasures at your right hand. How long? How long? Forevermore. Forevermore. That sounds like a long time. This is the inheritance that God has promised to us. How do I know I'll get it? Oh, you guys, I'd be in so much trouble if it depended upon me. But it doesn't depend upon me. The Holy Spirit is the guarantee. The Holy Spirit is the down payment that says, the one who started a good work in me, the one who started a good work in you, bringing you from spiritual death to spiritual life, will carry it out to completion in the day of Christ Jesus so that you gain the inheritance that God has promised to you. Does news get better than that? Right? Does news get better than that? I'm going to put up all six of these things. And I want to give you a couple minutes right now to just keep reading through that. And would you give him all praise and thanks for what he has done in your life right now? If you're a follower of Jesus, would you just take this time in order to praise him and thank him and rejoice for what the Holy Spirit has done in order to apply the finished work of Jesus Christ to your life? Take a moment. Hmm. What goodness. What love. What kindness. What mercy. What great grace. Every time we participate in the Lord's Supper together, we celebrate these things. Right? We celebrate what the Holy Spirit has applied to our life of the finished work of Jesus Christ. And I want to invite you to just bow your heads with me right now in order to prepare your hearts Don't run from sin that you may see in your life. Think about it. Recognize it for what it is. Confess it before the Lord. And then would you recognize the goodness of the Holy Spirit who has applied the shed blood of Jesus Christ to your life so that you are no longer spiritually dead but alive? The work of the Holy Spirit so that you are no longer dirty but clean. The work of the Holy Spirit who is strengthening you and growing you. As you go to the table, as we always do, I'd invite you to go ahead and see and confess your sins and then recognize how much greater God's grace is than all of those sins.
the loving kindness poured out through the work of Jesus. As we take the bread, it represents Jesus' body given for us, and the cup represents his shed blood for the forgiveness of sins. I'd invite you to prepare yourself, and when you're ready, as we are singing and worshiping together, make your way to the tables in the corners of the room and bring the bread and the cup back to your seat. And I'll lead us in the taking of those elements together. Let's worship him in song.